Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we're gathered here together because we really want to encounter you. God, all of us, we want to hear from you. We, we want our hearts to be tender towards your word. So God, I'm, I'm asking that you would continue to meet us here. God, I'm praying for every single one of us. Would you please just give us tender hearts towards you and towards your word. I'm praying every single man, woman, and child in this room and online would encounter you today through your grace and through your word. God, I'm also asking, would, would you help me to teach? You, you know I'm weak and you know I'm frail, but my confidence is in you and your spirit and your strength. So God, I pray that would be clear today, that today would be clear through the preaching that you are strong, that your word is powerful and that I am weak. God, make, make yourself known. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Um, listen, I got ready to preach a little early. I was starting to run up on the stage. About gave Josh uh, maybe a little aneurysm. I don't know if y'all saw that. I had a false start. I was like, let's go. And then it wasn't go time, but it's go time now. So uh, I might need to calm it down a little bit uh, this morning. Um, we're going to be continuing in the book of Titus. So you can be flipping over there to the book of Titus. We're jumping back into that series. But before we jump into Titus this morning, I want to kind of do a little bit of um, church family housekeeping things. Y'all good with that just for a moment? Oh, listen, come on, you're clapping for those guys, but I'm, I'm asking questions and now y'all just shut down on me. You're gonna have to help me preach this morning. Um, here's what's going on. Uh, a little bit over a year ago, COVID shut everything down and uh, we weren't sure what was gonna be happening. And then after being closed for a while, we did a partial reopening. We set up all these COVID precautions where we're spaced out, we're following the city's ordinances about wearing masks, taking temperatures at the door. Um, we've been partially reopened for a long time now. And one of the plans our staff is doing is now we're beginning that process church of actually reopening fully is what's going to be happening. I want all of you to know that. And all of our people that are watching online that, um, we're going to keep our COVID precautions in, in, in place. As long as our city officials are telling us to do that right now, we're going to do the mass and the temperatures as long as the virus is still out there. And here's why we're going to do that. Uh, there, we want to make sure everyone feels free to come here and encounter the word. And if someone's nervous about this, I don't want someone who's afraid of the virus to show up here and be like, oh man, like, I, I, I don't know. That's why we're open. I mean, it's, you can sit wherever you want in this room. We want everyone to hear the word and we're going to do whatever it takes to remove as many hurdles as possible so that people can hear the word. And, and, and here's why I'm saying all of that. As we're getting ready to fully reopen church, I, I, I want all of us to hear it's, it's time for us to do that. Uh, all the people online, I, 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 I need you to hear that. And here's why I'm saying it. When something comes to a complete standstill, it takes a lot of energy to get it moving again. In college, I had a car that really stunk. Uh, it was a stick shift and I had to pop the clutch sometimes to get it started. Anybody here ever ha have a car that bad? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, if you don't, it's really, it's a thing of dignity to take your car that, that's not working and put it in neutral and push it, then hop in and, and that, that was... That was my life in college. It was really awesome. Um, but it took a whole lot of energy. And if there was any type of hill, just give up. I don't even know what else to say. Uh, it was harder to push the car when it was stopped than when it was going. And it's going to take a lot of energy for us to restart up. Here, here's why I'm saying that. For, for some people, and all my people online, I need you to hear this as gracious as I can. You've put the car in park. 
and you've stopped and you've gotten used to watching church online, that, that's, that's not church. And I need you to know, it's going to take some energy for you to re-engage and to reconnect to the church. You're going to have to recommit to that and you're going to have to put effort into getting up off that couch and coming and engaging the church. So for my online people, we need you to come back. It's, it's time. For the people who are vulnerable, listen, don't feel guilt from that. You're still waiting for that vaccine. I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to be patient and wait for the vaccine when you can come back. But for the, the people who aren't, who you've just gotten used to the shutdown, it, it's time to engage. It, it really is. It, to be obedient to Jesus, you can't engage the church by watching it. The church is a group of people that we're in relationship with. And you cannot obey him from a distance with the church. And so that means, oh, we're good. yeah, listen, look at y'all clapping. Man, we need to, I'm, I'm pumped about this. Listen, uh, so listen, I'm, I'm asking you to engage. And, and here's what you need to know. A, a lot of our ministries have been operating at a skeleton crew. And for us to really engage kids ministry and welcome team and student ministry, listen, we, we need some of y'all to, to, to be engaging. That, that skeleton crew has been bearing the weight of that. And it's time for us as a church family to come together and start opening up. And here's why that matters. Jesus gave us a mission. His mission was to, to make disciples and to teach the word. Like it, that's what we gotta do. The, the commands for the church is to love one another. Listen, it, uh, we, we got to be careful and wise with COVID, but it's time to re-engage. So we're doing that. So in your bulletin, your note, notice we're starting Wednesday nights this week. And then we're going to slowly start engaging Sunday school and small groups in homes because it's, it's time for that. All right, now we're going to do it slowly as teachers are coming back and as people are coming back. It's not all at once. I understand that. I hope you understand that. But uh, the time to start it is now, not six months from now. All right, you guys, that's my, little, that, that's my little housekeeping thing. So I'm just asking all of you to engage as we engage that. So here's what we're doing. We've been in the book of Titus for a while. I took a few weeks off as we were prepping for Easter and looking at Jesus coming into town uh, in Matthew. But now we're coming back into Titus and we are in Titus chapter two. And if you weren't here, let me give you a quick rundown on the background of what's been happening in the book of Titus. Um, and just so you know, I, we preach through books of the Bible here. And in the coming weeks, we're going to get to some passages that I would probably skip over if I wasn't teaching through a book of the Bible uh, because... Goodness, um, but I'll talk about that later. But here's what happened in the book of Titus. Uh, the Apostle Paul went to this island of Crete. It's this, listen, I showed y'all pictures before. If you weren't here, look it up. Google it on your phone right now. Just Google Crete, C-R-E-T-E. It's this awesome island in the Mediterranean. Paul goes to Crete. He plants churches in all these cities and villages around the island. And then he leaves Titus there and he gives Titus this job. Titus chapter one, verse five, he says this. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And here, here was Titus's job. Titus, you got to get those churches organized. They've been saved for weeks now and you got to get that church ready to go and you got to get leadership set up. Plurality of elders in those churches helping lead each one of these churches in these cities. That's what you got to do. Now, apparently this was a tough job because the way Paul describes the Cretes or the way the Cretans describe themselves is in verse 12. I don't know if y'all remember this. It says this in chapter one. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. 
All right, so, so here's the job that Titus has. Live on the luxury island of Crete and get these churches established. And by the way, the people of Crete are insane. All right, they're like, think about that description. Always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Good luck with that, Titus. Go find elders in that island and set them up in every town, setting up this leadership among the evil beasts, lazy gluttons, always lying people. Listen, here's what that tells us. Listen, the gospel is stronger than all of our propensities to sin. This job was impossible apart from the gospel. Listen, all of this is impossible apart from the gospel. If you feel like you're deeply broken, good news. The gospel is stronger than your brokenness. You can be a lazy glutton. You can be an evil beast. You can always be lying and Jesus can change you and turn you into the highest level of Christian leadership possible. That, that, that feels like good news to me. It <laughs> feels like good news for me personally as a pastor. Like this, is, this is really good news. Anyways, that's not the sermon for this morning. I already preached chapter one. But, but he tells us, this is what you've got to do. And, and part of the qualifications for leadership that Paul laid out for Titus, that these people have to be able to teach because there's actually false teachers already within weeks there's false teachers and false teaching in the church. Look at how Paul describes it in chapter 1, verse 16. He's, wait, let me start in verse 10. Uh, he says, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Let's just call those legalists. Some might call those Baptists. Okay, that was too soon. We're in a Baptist church. All right. Uh, man, I'm, I should not have had that much coffee this morning. Um, you say, listen, these guys got to be able to teach the word because there's people who teach a different version of the word. They're insubordinate. They're, gonna, they're deceiving people. They're legalists. Verse 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what ought, they ought not to teach. These guys are greedy. They're wrecking the houses of these people. Like They're causing destruction in this young church like crazy. Like, Titus, you got to get elders that can teach out of those evil beasts and lazy gluttons. you got to find some people that can teach the word and handle the false teachers. He also describes this about them in verse 16. These false teachers, they profess to know God, but they deny him, not with their words, but by their works. You ever met someone like that? Oh, man. Maybe I should ask that. You ever been that person? Oh man, this is a person who they know all the lingo. They know the Bible. They know how to talk about God. They sound really impressive. But when, upon, upon closer inspection of their life, they know God, but they deny him completely by the fact that their life does not line up with who God is and what he says his people are supposed to be about. And then he's a little bit harder. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Listen, man. Uh, Paul does not know how to talk nice like we do here in the 21st century, does he? He's like, man, that, those dudes, they're useless for good works. So if there's hope in the gospel, we should be scared about sin. So let me pick up where we're at. Chapter 2, verse 1. And man, thank you for being patient with me as I gave you background to that because I think you need it with what we're jumping into chapter 2. Because here's what's going to happen. Titus, you got these false teachers. You don't need to be like that. Here's the command that he gives to Titus. You get these elders set up, but here's what I want you to teach, Titus. Verse 1. But as for you, as opposed to these guys 
who profess to know God, but deny him by the works. You, you teach what accords with sound doctrine. He says, Titus, here's what you got to do. You make sure these guys do. They're not going to pretend, you guys can't pretend to know God and deny him by the way they live their life. You got to teach what's in right, in line with right and sound and biblical doctrine. You, you got to make sure the teaching is correct, that it's accurate, that it's true. You can't be sloppy with it. You can't be lazy with it. You, you got to make sure that it is taught and that it is right, completely and wholly true. It has to be that way. A church, um, I'd be lying if I said that churches all over the place get this right. But, but here's, what, here's what this tells us, because here's what we're doing in this passage. Every time we come to the passage, we're going to look at what the Bible says, and we're going to say, what do we do? What do we believe? And does it line up with what the Word says? So here's the question for us. Is our teaching true and biblical and accurate all the time in every nook and cranny of this church? Are we committed to making sure that we are teaching and that we know right doctrine? Are we, is that who we are? Like, listen, let me say it this way. We're going to be committed to teaching what's true. We're going to be committed to making sure that the teaching in this church in every area of it is biblical and true and accurate in every Sunday school class. And every, listen, y'all, come on, you can, you can bring it because you'll get me going. That's what's going to, I'm, I'm proud of y'all. You're going to help me preach this. Like listen, in every class and every group, every kid's ministry, every conversation around the dinner table and around coffee, hanging out in the foyers, we talk about what Jesus has done. It always has to be true in every nook and cranny, in every ministry, in, in the business office and in housekeeping and in the, just the classrooms at the school, all of the teaching must be true without exception. But there's something else here. Uh, sometimes when I see that, I, here's what I think of when I hear that all the teaching has to be true. I'm, I'm curious, do you get this picture of this very rigid, almost theological, like heady type of conversation with the seminary professor? Anyone else picturing that? Okay, the three of us, you can nod your head. Y'all like it? Yeah, I, I picture that. I picture this rigid, like almost like, man, I'm almost afraid to say anything out loud because they're, they're going to, it's going to get picked apart. If you haven't been in that environment, I have, and it is not fun. It, the, there's like almost this arrogance that happens with it. Let me, let me be really clear what teaching right doctrine means. It makes us, every one of us, students of the word. This is not just for the elite. You don't got to have a master's degree in Bible. You don't have to have an undergrad degree in Bible. You don't even have to have a third grade degree. If you didn't finish third grade, you don't have to be educated to study the word. Every one of us, every man, every woman, every child, this turns all of us into students of the word. All of us. Does something else for us here. Should make us humble. Not arrogant know-it-alls. You ever met someone who studied the word and instead of creating humility, it created this pompous, like heady type of every time you talk, they look down on you. They were able to say, well, actually the Greek, uh, have y'all, maybe that's just me in seminary. I don't know how that, that was like it, it should produce humility, not arrogance. Why? 
because we know that apart from the grace of God, we don't understand this word. My heart is hard and stubborn. I need Jesus to help me. And I'm also studying the almighty, huge and powerful God who's beyond comprehension. It doesn't cause an arrogance. It causes a humility in me that I would study this huge, awesome being, that I would get to know him and that he would help my heart understand. That's not a place of arrogance. That's a place of humility. So you're not committed to right doctrine if it makes you arrogant. It should make you humble. It also should make us loving, like really like in action loving, not in theory. You've been to those places, they got right doctrine, but dude, they're not going to talk to you. It's going to be stone cold dead when you walk in there. And if you had a need, if you needed to hang out with someone, they're not going to be loving. They're going to be distant and cold. That's not right doctrine. There's only a few commands that everything's wrapped up on. Love God, love people. Listen, if you don't have right doctrine, if it doesn't cause love in your heart for everyone, everyone, there's something deeply broken in a church that loves everyone who looks just like them, but doesn't love the people that don't look like them or don't act like them or don't think like them or don't have the same means as them. That's not the love of Jesus. And that's not right doctrine. Here's something else should also make us worshipers. You, you don't come to God like you're dissecting something in biology class or like you come to it in a math problem and saying, listen, nine plus nine equals 18. Glad I got that right. Should have put out the calculator. Should pick an easier math problem. Right? You, you don't come to God like it's a sterile environment where you're, you're dissecting him like you did in biology class and it's only a, a head encounter. When you come to the almighty God and you're learning who he is, it should cause something in your heart to burn. You should be worshiping him. Something should happen in us. Listen, when I go on a date with my wife, it's not a good date if it's just all, can we talk about the calendar? Like, can we, can we talk about your next hair appointment or how the kids are doing? And if it's completely without passion and love and, and no affection, that's ladies, is that a good date? Do you feel like you're known by your husband? If you bore him, if he can list out all the facts, let me tell you what my wife's birthday is 12, 21, 1984. I can tell you how much she weighs. Not going to do that. All right. Not stupid. <laughs> uh, I know what she weighs. I, like I can give you all the facts about her. It doesn't matter if I can tell you all the facts about my wife. I get, man, I need to know who she is and love who she is. It is not right doctrine if it does not produce worship in our hearts. That's not Christianity. That's something else. And finally, it should make us obedient. Like, right, right theology isn't about knowing the facts. It should produce some type of obedience in us. Now, now why do I say that? Because Paul was about to get really specific about what do right doctrine looks like in the churches of Crete. And he is not going to list, let me tell you what your Christology is and your theology and your bibliology and your anthropology and your harmodiology and your soteriology and your eschatology and all your ologies. These are all the ologies you got to get right, Titus. Didn't you go to seminary and learn this? You better pump all the ologies right into your church. Listen, I, I believe all that theology has to be right, but it's interesting that Paul's list is so much different than the list I got in seminary. Look at what he says. 
Verse one, verse two, older men. All right. He's, listen, he's going to go straight after older men. So all my older men in the church, I'm not going to, I'm not going to point you out. You know who you are. If you don't know who you are, you're not older. Okay. Um, just, you just got to listen. I, I'm not older. Can I go ahead and say that? Are y'all okay with that? So if you're my age range, well, sorry, you got kids in the house. You're not older. All right. Older men. It doesn't say you're really supposed to know the doctrine of the peccability and impeccability of Jesus. I'm throwing out big words now. Y'all didn't even know I could do that. He says, older men, you're supposed to be sober-minded. It's pretty practical, isn't it? Talk about how you live. What your character is supposed to be. Right doctrine changes your character. You're supposed to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. And right out of the gate, I just want to hit pause real quick. I say, here's what I love about this. He goes, he's going to break down older men, older women, younger women, younger men. He's going to do this little journey. And he starts with the older men. Here's what I like about this. Spiritual maturity is not automatic. Well, why would I say that? He's not assuming the older men are already spiritually mature just because they're older. He's still giving instruction and training and saying, listen, you older men, here's what I want to see grow in you. Listen, you ever heard that phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Listen, the, the, the truth of the phrase is you can't teach a stubborn dog new tricks. Right? I, like, don't, old men, don't let yourself off the hook because you're older for growth. God's plan for you is that you would grow every day for the rest of your life till you breathe your last breath. You're growing. Don't, don't fall for the lie that you grow when you're younger and when you're older, you just, that's as much as you can grow. You can't teach me anymore. I'm not going to learn anymore. I'm not going to grow anymore. Don't, don't, don't fall for that lie because Paul's not falling for it. Why? Because the gospel's stronger and it can't, it's not going to be preemptive by your age. Jesus is stronger than the, the, the oldness or the stubbornness. Well, I, oldness, I, that's, I should stick with my notes. I don't say words like oldness. That's a little note there. Like, listen, he's not just saying you're automatically wise and mature because you have experience. He's not saying you're automatically wise and mature and done growing because you've seen a lot of things or because you're older or you know a lot. He's saying, no, you keep growing. Spiritual maturity is not automatic. My old need to hear that and my young need to hear that. You are not going to be spiritually mature just by getting older. But listen, all, all my older people, I need you, <laughs> all my people, I need you, I need you to hear this. I, I want you to hear this. Here's the thing that stands out for me. Like you can keep growing. For the older people in the congregation, I want you to hear this. You actually have a ton of experience. You have a ton of experience, good, bad, ugly. You have tons of insight. You've walked through more things than we even know what to do with. That is fuel to grow into maturity very, very quickly. I mean, you've got, you've got everything you need to be mature and to be, be mature fast. But at the same time, all that experience, you also have decades of doing things and thinking the same exact way. All of those things that can be fueled to grow quickly are also hurdles to keep you from growing. 
Listen, let's be people. I want all of us to hear this. Let's be people who are always growing. And let me explain these words that he said. And older men, I want you to listen. Younger men, I want you to listen. Listen, ladies, you can listen too, because I think he wants all of us to be this, all right? But for older men, he, he nailed it on the older men of Crete, and he said this. First one was sober-minded. This has a root meaning of referring to someone who's, who's moderate with alcohol. It's kind of a low, low bar. All right, older men, uh, don't be drunks. That, that's not quite what he's saying here. Uh, the idea is someone who's moderate, level-headed, Balance that they're they're avoiding overindulgence and extravagance. It's it's they're sober-minded. Here's how I would say it: sober-minded person is able to determine what's the most valuable way to spend their time, their money, and their energy, and they spend it on that. Like right, can, can my can my older people in the room right? Y'all have lived some life, right? Like I'm kind of curious if you could go back in your twenties. Would you change how you spent your days, right? Can you tell all of us younger people, well, what would you, go ahead and help me preach. What would you spend your time on? You can shout it out, I'll repeat it. Family, instead of work, right? Church, I wanna pour myself into knowing Jesus and being part of the church. What else would you spend time on? Man, if I could go back in time, my time, my energy, my money, tell us young people, what would you spend it on? What was that? Prayer. What was that? Oh, I thought I heard one. Sorry. I was, oh, this is harder than I thought. I should have prepped this a little bit more. Come again. Let me hear one at a time. Raise your hand so I can, I, I'm doing a lot. I'm going to go classroom. Yes, ma'am. Health. Training. Getting trained on how to follow and love Jesus. Taking care of your body so it doesn't get out of whack. Listen. Listen, this, that's sober-minded. A sober-minded person, this is what he wants the older men to grow in. I want to make sure that you're sober-minded, that the people in the church, the young people in the church are around older men who are growing and being more and more sober-minded. It's, listen, it's good. Church, young people, I, you need to hear this. It's good for you to be around older people so they can help us put things into priority. We need that. If the wisest person you meet is me in this church, we're going to be missing a whole lot of wisdom. Jesus' plan for the church was not a whole bunch of 30 and 40-year-olds trying to figure out how to do life. His plan, his awesome plan for the church is he mixed us together with the generations and he just said, you know what? Guess what? I'm going to put you together with grandpa and great-grandpa and that dude should be growing in sober-mindedness and he's, that wisdom, he's going to give it to you. I don't, you got to decide if you're going to take it, but you need to be around other people that are telling you you need to chill out a little, right? Or you, you, need, to, you need to spend some time with those kids because they're gone just like that. Listen, the next word, dignified. This means respectable or serious. So don't confuse it with like that cranky person who's never happy. Okay. This is not dignified is not sad and cranky and kind of joyless. It's not always grave. It's not high class. Don't think this is a rich person. Dignified is respectable. They're, they're honorable because they do what's right. They interact with people in a way that, that is um, appropriate and gracious. You, you ever met a respectable man? Like, like really older, respectable man? Like they just, there's something about it that's just awesome. He's saying, older men in the church, I want you to be sober-minded and I want Jesus to work in you that you are dignified. 
Listen, Alderman, I'm asking you to lean into this. Be sober-minded. Be dignified. Be self-controlled. Listen, this is a person who's sensible and has restraint. Their years of walking with God allow them to be able to say no to temptation. They know the traps of the world. They know the traps of their heart, or at least know them better. Let me give you the opposite of this. I feel like I've experienced it at another church. Not this one. I'm letting you all off the hook on this one. Like at the last place I was at, um, there were some older people in the church who had this attitude, I'm old, I don't care what you think about me, so I'm gonna say whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. They lacked self-control of the tongue. And they thought age gave them wisdom and the freedom to say whatever they want. Because I'm, I'm, I'm asking the older men and women and even the younger, everyone in our church, Jesus wants to make us self-controlled not just out of control. And then, then I love this too. He says that that word sound, he wants you to be sound in faith, that you're growing in faith. You don't stop growing in faith. Sound in love. Older man, Jesus wants you to be able to love people better now than you did when you were younger. He wants you sound. I love this one. Steadfastness. That word is endurance. It's that word of there's a load on you and you're able to bear the load of suffering well. This one, man, do we, we need examples of this. We, we need examples of people who've gone on before us and they've endured unbelievable pain and heartache and suffering. Listen, I, I'm, I'm telling you, church, it's a gift to have older people in this church who are sound in endurance. Listen, my older people, I'm going to ask you to interact again. Listen, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you're comfortable with that because yelling doesn't work well. (laughs) Um, Sound in endurance. I, I want you to think of the worst experience you ever had in your life or the things you weren't sure you were going to get through and God got you through it. Good, bad, it can be health scares, it can be family issues, if you're comfortable saying this stuff. Older people in the church, my 65 plus, what are some things in life that you've experienced? Yes, sir. Child with cancer. He's bragging on Jesus right now. You need to hear that. Old age doesn't help you get through a child with cancer. You know who helps you get through a child with cancer? Jesus, did he show up? Was he faithful? Did he help you? Like, was it easy? No, it wasn't easy at all, but Jesus was there, right? What else? What else did Jesus get you through? He wasn't sure. Wayward child. Listen, parents, can can you hear that? Like you can't control your kids, but Jesus, listen, he will show up and he will give you the wisdom you need and the grace you need on those nights you can't sleep and you're crying about that kid. You don't know what they're doing. He, did he show up for you? Did he help you? Was it easy? No, ma'am. What else? Brag on Jesus for me. Helping us get through Parkinson's disease. Is that easy? Is he showing up? Listen, church, you, you got to hear that. There's some covenants if you're married that you made in sickness and in health. You can't keep it if Jesus doesn't help you. I, we need we need to be together young and old. Don't go shopping for a church that is everyone just like you. You will miss out on maturity in Jesus. 
Listen, older men in the church, I want you to hear something. I want you to lean in. I want you to grow and keep growing. I want you to be sober-minded. I want you to be dignified. I want you to be self-controlled. I want you to be examples of being sound in faith, sound in love, sound in endurance and steadfastness. And church, I think we've got a whole lot of examples of that here. We really do. We're swimming in it and it's a gift of God and we don't want to despise it. We want to take advantage of it. And if some of you may be sitting there saying, well, maybe I'm an older man, but I'm not any of those things. Jesus can make you that. That's the gospel. It's not too late. Like you feel like I'm not that. I can never be that. Yes, you can. Jesus, if he can come back from the dead, he can make you sober minded and dignified and sound in the faith and love and steadfastness. And I believe we've got it. I really do. Let me give you an example of it. And younger people, please don't be insulted by this. But when when we went through the first part of this pandemic, do you know who the first people kicking the doors of this church down were? It was my 70 plus year olds. Bro, you, I talked to pastors around town. You know who disappeared after the pandemic? 20 and 30 and 40 year olds. We don't have no steadfastness. We're wusses. We're pansies when it comes to following Jesus. But the 70 year olds who are the most vulnerable, they were like, we're going to church. <sighs> it's a global pandemic they've never been through before. But they've been through all sorts of suffering. They're saying, I know Jesus shows up and I know he's worth it. And I, I got to be with the people of God to get through difficult things. They showed up here because they're sound in steadfastness. And to all my 20 and 30 year olds, I need you to, you need to see that example. I need to see that. We need it. And it's a really good thing. It's one of the best things about this church. But there's more. Now, now, now he moves to the older ladies. Now, we don't have any older ladies in this church. None. I don't know what was going on with Paul's child. I don't know what that dude's doing. He's crazy. <laughs> think I'm about to walk into that. You're out of your mind. He's... But apparently he's, he's saying, listen to all the older ladies. So, so I'm going to go through this because one day we might have some older ladies in the church. I, I don't know if, if God will do that. But here's what he says in verses three and four. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. Let me just, let me just hit pause. I, I got to be honest. Like the dude's list... <laughs> The dude's list, right? Sober-minded, self-controlled, dignified. Ladies, be reverent. Don't be a drunk. Don't be a gossip. I'm kind of jealous of your list. I got to be honest. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not, I probably shouldn't be making fun of this stuff. Let me, let me explain what reverent in behavior is. It's a really weird word there. It's, it's actually the word for priestess. It's, it's the type of behavior that you would see in, in in a woman that was a priest, you, you talk about, you read some of the gospel stuff. This woman shows up. What does a priest do? A priest is the one who does the sacrifices and helps these people get access to God. It's a person who has the aroma of burnt offerings, the aroma of sacrifice. Listen, ladies, what he wants for the older ladies in our church is that you're walking, we're walking around you and it feels like we're, we're with someone who's been with Jesus. We can smell the sacrifice of him all over your life. You, you, you're like a priestess walking through. There's something holy and, and sacred that makes me want to be with Jesus. 
because you've obviously been walking with him. That's reverent. That, that's what it means. This is phenomenal to me. And then, then he used this word, not slanders. Now, that, that Greek word's a little bit crazy. It's <laughs> diabolos. Um, it's actually used for Satan a lot. I, I can avoid that if you want, but it's, it's the she-devil. Can I say it that way? Uh, and here's, the, here's the part of Satan that it's talking about. One of the descriptions of Satan is that he's an accuser. That this dude is constantly accusing the believers before God. Saying, look at that dude, man. That fire's guy, he's an idiot. Like, he's stupid. Like, why would you make that guy a pastor, God? Like, there's this constant accusing to God and to me. Listen, what he's saying is, he's saying, listen, you want the older ladies in your church, you want them to be like, like, Precess. Like it's like they, they're connecting the people to Jesus and not the opposite. They're, they're not slanderers. They're not gossips. They're not people who are going to constantly accuse and, and accuse and accuse. That's not who these ladies are. Listen, I don't believe that he's saying that ladies have this bent. I'm saying, I think he's saying, listen, we want them to be like priestess, not this. Now, he's not saying all old women are gossips. He's not saying, I don't believe that. I think what he's saying is wanting to be priestess, not accusers, not gossips, not people who are addicted to wine. That says not slaves to wine. Listen, it may sound crazy to you, but what he says, you don't need to be uh, owned and addicted by any type of substance. And I don't know why he's saying that in Crete, but I'm just telling you, I've seen people who are in their 60s ruin their family because of addiction to prescription pain meds, men and women alike. I'm just telling you, it's brutal. It is brutal to talk with 20 and 30 year olds and their parents seem to have been walking with God and all of a sudden they get addicted to this prescription pain meds and they just go off the rails and burn the whole family to the ground. I think this is a warning to our older men and older women and younger men. Listen, don't be slaves to these things that will addict you and own you. Not just alcohol, but all sorts of substances. And then he says this awesome thing right here at the end of verse three, they are to teach what is good. Man, kept digging into that, trying to figure out what's going on. Here's what I think he means, that these ladies, that they are teaching right doctrine. I want to jump into verse four so you can see the direction of this and not be confused by it. It says, they are to teach what is good. And the first two words of verse four are, and so... I want you to circle it. I'm going to come back to it. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Now, th this is one of those verses about to get crazy all up in here. I'm not going to, I'm going to pick up some of this next week, but, he, but here's what I want you to see. What he says, these, these older ladies, I want you to be like priestesses. You, you're not a drunk. You're not an accuser. You're, you're holy and you're reverent. You've been someone who's been with Jesus. And I need you to be able to teach what is good. And then it says, and so teaching the younger women or training the young women to love their husbands and love their kids. I mean, that, that word and so, I, it, I did a little study on that. Here's what that Greek, I'm, I know I'm going into Greek. Please bear with me. I'm not trying to be a jerk about that. I'm trying to give us right understanding of it. Uh, that Greek word is not giving the content of the good teaching. It's not saying teach what is good, mainly how to love your husbands and kids. It's giving the purpose of the teaching, the end goal of the teaching. Here's why that matters. Here's what I think he's saying. Hey, you make sure that the older women in your church 
can teach the word and doctrine and really good things about God. And they teach it to the young woman and that will make them better wives and mothers. Listen, this, this matters to me. In a world where women's ministry is only about how to be a wife and a mom, I'm not saying we don't need training for that, but sometimes we take this verse and we skip over things. Here's what it means. It means the older ladies should be teaching our younger ladies how to dig into the word. I mean, the deep things of the word. Ladies, you're supposed to be deep and strong and powerful students of the word that know theology and right doctrine. That is not a man-only thing in the church. It's not. This, this shallow stuff that we skip over, listen, well, as a church, we've got to be committed to making sure every man, woman, and child knows Jesus and his word. It, it's teaching them to know the deep things of Jesus, and the result of that is a woman at home that's a better mom and a better wife. It's, it's that. It, it's, it's not just married. It's single alike. Every woman should be being trained how to study the word and know right theology. It, that. Sometimes I'm afraid we do something. Have y'all experienced this? Or am I just imagining this? That, that we, we like skip over the women for being deep in, in knowing God. That's, that's not okay. Ladies, you are a follower of Jesus. You are a daughter of the king. Your father wants you to know him. Don't, don't, don't let a church come alongside you and make it shallow. Don't. You need to know to love and follow and cling to Jesus. And, and yeah, maybe there's some practical tips, but, but let's not make this small and low level and cheap. Our women are supposed to be deep theologians who teach the deep things of God. That, that's the challenge. So, so ladies, man, I, w- I want the older ladies in our church to continue to grow in this. I, I want you to be, let me phrase this way. Jesus wants you to be reverent in behavior. He doesn't want you to be slanders. He doesn't want you to be drunks. He wants you to be reverent in behavior and deep in the word so you can teach other people to know and love the real Jesus. That's what right doctrine is. And church, I believe that's what God is calling us to be as a church family. I think it's clear and plain in the word. And I want to close with one last thing. We can't do this. I, I can't make you do this. Listen, there is no way in the world, I've already kind of laid this out, there's no way in the world that you will be able to just make yourself deeper. There's no way you'll be able to make yourself sober-minded and dignified and self-control. There's no way you'll be able to make yourself reverent behavior. There's no way to make yourself that without the work of Jesus in your heart. I need to give you good news today. Listen, here's the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus, that every single one of us were broken and that God came after us, you and me together, and he sent his son to die on the cross for all of our irreverent behavior, for all of our gossip, for all of our addictions. He sent him to die for all of our areas that aren't dignified and sound. He, he died for all of that and he cleaned us of it. But the whole good news is that he came back to life and he says, when you place your trust in me, I'll save you, I'll clean your heart, I'll, give, I'll make you a brand new person, I'll give you the spirit, and I will put resurrection power in you for all of your life, all the way to the end, to do all the good things that I've called you to do. 
Listen, church, that's the good news. So I don't want you to walk out of here and try to do this on your own. I, I want you to walk out here saying, Jesus, I need you and I'm asking you to help me. That's what we're, we're trying to do. And here's why else we need this. Listen, yeah, I think it's plain for us. If we're going to reach men and women in our city in Tallahassee, we need gospel power, right? And we need to be a church that as people get saved, they're coming in here and there's mature believers that are coming alongside saying, let me show you how to walk with Jesus. We, we, we need that because just, just pretend with me. Can you imagine me for a minute? Just imagine if this next year, every single one of you got to lead an unsaved friend to Jesus. That, that might sound crazy. It really help attendance, but we won't, we won't get into that. Like, hey, we got to do a job so that you're ready to actually help those people follow Jesus. What, we, you want them to show up here Sunday and that's supposed to make them mature? I'm trying to preach, but I can't get everything done. He wants you to be mature so you can come alongside those new believers. And what does it look like when that starts to grow and grow and grow and grow? We got to be ready to make followers of Jesus. That means I need hundreds of people who are grown deep in the Lord. That's you. They can't all come and meet with me in my office and I'm saying, all right, let me, let me disciple your friend and your friend and your friend and your friend. That is not Jesus' plan. His plan is that I would equip you to make disciples. And if we're going to be used by God, we better be ready to train people up to follow him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to walk us through a time of response. Right there in your seat. I just want you to do some business with God and here's the questions. Is there any, anything that God was calling you to repent of? You know, whether that's not being sober-minded. It's young and old, not being dignified, not being sound in faith or sound in love, sound in endurance. Maybe you've been faltering. Maybe he convicted you of not being reverent or convicted of being a slanderer or addicted to something. That's whatever it is. Can you just spend a moment and repent of it? Maybe for you, it wasn't a call to repent of something. Maybe you felt the call to obey. He's saying, man, I feel like I'm supposed to be growing. Listen, if he called you to grow, I just want you to say, Jesus, I need you to help me grow in this area. Pick one of those areas that you heard that stood out to you and say, Jesus, make me that this year or all of them. He can do it all at once. Maybe for some of you, um, the thing that's been going on in your heart has been, man, I, the call to grow or the call to repent, I just know, I, I feel like I'm totally disconnected from God. I, I don't need those things. What I need is I need a savior. I, I need to be saved today. Listen, you heard a quick snippet of the good news, but it's, it's this, that all you have to do is believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and came back to life. Confess your sin and just ask him to save you. And he says, he'll do that. So if you need to do that, you can do that right there in your seat today. It's never too late, no matter your age or your past. Maybe for some of you, the call was this. You've isolated yourself from other generations in the church and from great blessing. Man, would, would you ask Jesus to give you relationships with people who are wiser than you or who are younger than you or both. 
Ask him who that person is going to be that you're going to come alongside of that's either younger than you or older than you. Listen, if you need to do, have more time with God, we've got some rooms in the back. You can go back there and spend time praying with God. Sometimes it's hard to do business with God in like a minute. Uh, if you need to speak with someone, we have decision counselors in the back. They would love to talk with you. They're, they're about to, you can go back there at any moment that you want, even right after the service. But let me, let me close us in prayer here. Heavenly Father, God, I, your wisdom is way beyond ours. <laughs> In our wisdom, we would separate the generations. We, we would have old church services and young church services. We'd have old Sunday school classes and small groups and young Sunday school classes and small groups. God, we wouldn't mix the generations. <laughs> but you're wiser than we are. God, in our wisdom, we would say, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But in your wisdom, you say, you save every man, woman, and child, and you can grow us all the way to our dying breath. God, we want to thank you that you're wiser than we are. We pray you do a work in us in a church that we'd be a people that would grow all of our lives, that every single one of us would be in relationship with one another so that we'd be able to, to stir each other up to love and good works. God, make us that type of people. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.